Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. Men, all you men, hold up your compass. Hold up your compass. Who got a compass today? All you men, right? Cool. Everyone, if you didn't get one, raise your hand. Every guy gets a compass. If you didn't get one, raise it. So why did I get this? Because today we are continuing in our sermon series called Refocus. And Refocus is completely centered on the idea of what were those couple sermons this year where people said, I needed that more than anything. Believe it or not, believe it or not, the two had to do with finances, which was last week. Can you believe that? People in our church said, I need to hear more about kingdom finances. And the second one was about parenting. It was about parenting. And last November, I preached on parenting where people had said, we need to hear that again. And so the reason we have the compass, because if you've ever been in Boy Scouts or Cub Scouts, the whole idea of a compass is to understand where true north is. And so whether you're going east or west or south or northeast or or southwest, the compass guides you along the way. Men, you have a role in your child's life to point them true north. You have the responsibility to point your child true north. The moment you became a father, the moment you took on that responsibility to say, I'm all in. And the best advice that I was ever given was by the prophetess, Susan Parker. Just joking. She said, embrace every stage of life. I'm like, yeah, that's really good. Because if you don't, I'll kill you. And so in that, she really, really came alongside me and said, every stage of life, God wants to use you to be their parent. That's it. Your kids have no other parents but you and me. And it was the most important wisdom to be able to put myself in a place of humility And in every stage of life, embrace the joys, the trials, the troubles, the sorrows, the celebrations of parenting. And this is what I want to do this morning. I am here to encourage each one of you. I am here to encourage you that today the Holy Spirit is saying, today is a fresh day, a new start, a new beginning. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask you right now. Your kingdom come, your will be done. No matter what stage people are in their life, whether they're a parent or not a parent, there's a reason they're here this morning. Would you speak to us in Christ's name? Amen. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verse 41 through 52. When you look at the Gospels, there are only a couple little snapshots of Jesus before the age of 30. That's it. Two, maybe three. And here's one of them. It says, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival 
as usual. Underline that, as usual. That's a holy phrase, as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. Let's continue. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic. And I can see Joe back there like, I don't know what she's talking about. I wasn't frantic. I didn't even know where you were right? Searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search? He asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. So as usual, the Passover festival, Joseph and Mary went with their caravan of friends and family. And they went from Nazareth all the way to Jerusalem. And this was a journey. And so they would all pack up and they would all go together. All the people from the same synagogue hopped on on their rides and they got there. And when they got there, they celebrated for a week. And the beauty is, is that, that there's a certain age of accountability. How old was Jesus? Anyone hear how old he was? 12, 12. Do you know how old someone has a bar mitzvah? 12, right? This whole idea of, of the age of accountability So there came a point where Jesus was allowed to kind of go roam the streets of Jerusalem. So when I was younger, and my parents are here today, they would go to Wildwood Crest with our church family. And we would stay at the Viking Hotel. And there would be like 200 rooms and and families from the church would just rent out this hotel. Well, up until 11 years old, I had to stick with them. Was that fun? No. Everyone's saying no. It wasn't fun. It was not fun. Okay. But... When I turned 12, myself and Todd and Steve, we were let loose to Wildwood Crest. And they had no idea what was happening. And we'll stop right there with the stories, right? Do I get an amen? amen. But, but there was this trust. And there was an expectation. Come back. We're trusting you. Don't break the rules or you won't go out the next night. Trust me, there was a couple times I wasn't allowed to go back out. Anywho. But that's what happened to Jesus. They went, they traveled, they went to Jerusalem. They all kind of roamed the streets together. They all kind of hung out. They all celebrated together. And then they packed up and they left. Just like if you went away with friends and families and you thought your kids were jumping in other cars and you made it all the way back to New Jersey and your kids were still left at the vacation spot. Has that happened to anyone? Only two of us, three of us. Yes, that happened to me on a couple occasions. I love you both very much. And so in that, in that, he, was, he wasn't there. But what happened was he was hanging out. He was hanging out in the father's house. 
and he was listening, and he was talking, and he was asking questions. And, and when they finally found him, I love, like, Mary's like, you scared us. We're both frantic. Where have you been? And Jesus is like, where did you think I would be? I'm right where you would want me to be. It's kind of like this. If we did a big all-church camping trip, and our kids were left behind, and you found them with Paul Lee, you would be mad at Paul more than you would at your kid, right? But Paul would be the perfect person for your child to be with. Why? Because you trust him. You want him to be near him. You want him to glean from them. And so there's this whole idea that there's this caravan going, they're going, Jesus is with them, and there's this moment of parenting that there's a responsibility I mean, think about the responsibility of Joseph and Mary to raise the son of God. Like, good luck, good luck. Like, that's like the hardest thing ever because Jesus was fully God and fully man. And so, yes, Jesus had to learn and grow into his identity. So, why am I telling you all this? Because Joseph and Mary were parents. And parenting isn't easy. Parenting is hard. Parenting is probably the most difficult job in the whole world. Do I get an aha? Uh-huh, right? But it's the most rewarding job, right? Sometimes it's not. Do I get an aha? Uh-huh, right? So let's just be honest. But look, look what Proverbs says. And, and I really, I, I have really come to understand this. There's principles and promises. And I believe that when we're disappointed by God, we believe the Bible is a bunch of, bunch of principles. When actually when we read scripture, the Bible is a bunch of promises of God. And this is what the Bible says. Direct your children unto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. Direct your children onto the right path. And when they're older, they won't leave it. Another one says this, another translation. Train up your child in the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart. So how old's old? How old's old? I think we put so much pressure on our kids that we miss the joy of being a parent. Direct your child. Train up your child. So when they are old, is 20 old? Is 30 old? Is 40 old? Is 50 old? Is 60 old? Is 70 old? No. At some point, I believe Our children will return to the face of God. Because when you embrace the responsibility and the joys of parenting because God chose you, God will redeem all things. Because God loves your children more than you ever will. Do you know that? Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do we live like that? Matter of fact, this is something that really shifted, shifted me with my parenting. I'm responsible for raising my children in the things of God. But I am not responsible to how they will respond. Do you hear, hear me? I'm responsible for pointing them, but it's not my responsibility to how they will respond. And there's a tension that we live in. And so when you look at children, there are four stages, and and different psychologists kind of tell them in different ways, but I want to give you four stages, some common language, easy language for for us to understand. One, sensory motor. You see, between infancy and two years old, 
This is the early stage where they're becoming aware of all things. They focus on what they see, what they're doing, and the physical interactions with their immediate environments. And so this stage is so imperative because touch and voice and volume and presence is everything into letting your child know that they are dearly loved. I loved seeing Paul in the office holding little Abigail because all she knows right now is the touch of the father. And so is Paul teaching Abigail, Ezra, that the father has a touch, that his touch is a reflection. It's just a small little picture of the father's touch. Second stage, pre-operational, ages two to seven. During the stage, which is really toddler to seven, young children are able to think about things symbolically. They develop memory and imagination, difference between past and future, and they engage in the make-believe. Between the ages of two and seven, I was either Lone Ranger or Tonto, right? That's who I was. We had, we had acres behind us, and me and my neighbors, we would just go play imagination. We had this rusted out truck, and we would just pretend driving down the street. Imagination is so important. It's, about, it's part of our development. The next stage, which is ages 7 to 11, concrete operational thinking. At this time, elementary age and pre-adolescent children demonstrate logic and concrete reasoning. And you're like, I don't want to talk with you about that. Right? I don't want to talk with you about that. We're not at this stage of life. And your kids start questioning and challenging. And they, the logic starts to happen. And this age between 7 and 11, you're like, where did you learn that? My little granddaughter, our little granddaughter is a year old. She knows how to work a tablet. So I think a lot of this stuff is kind of, is not, is wrong. I mean, we'll see a little Alora, and she'll be playing with this thing and touching it and touching it and touching it. I'm like, these kids are so much more advanced than we ever were, right? Seven-year-olds asking us, like, real-life question. Uh, Eleven-years-old, like, really kind of pushing in, like, they want concrete answers, right? Right? Tyler. <laughs> and lastly, formal operational, ages 12-plus. Ages 12 plus, able to logically use symbols related to abstract concepts. They can think about multiple variables in systematic ways. They formulate hypotheses and consider possibilities. They're really thinking. This is junior, senior high, right? This was Jesus, 12 years old and up, right? He was in the temple. He was really having like Big thoughts, big ideas, talking with the religious leaders. He wanted to know truth. He wanted to know truth in a world where truth is not accepted. And Jesus says, where would you think I would be? And so I want to just share several gospel parenting tips. Gospel parenting tips. First, primary responsibilities. Primary responsibilities. The first primary responsibility we have is to raise good human beings. Do I get an aha? Uh -huh? Good human beings. Kids that say yes. Kids that say thank you. Kids that, that chivalry is not lost, ladies. 
that literally teaching little boys to open the door for their younger sister, right? Teaching this stuff, teaching them what does it mean to be a good human being? What does it mean to, how does it mean to act, to talk, to respect your elders? And Joseph had to do that. That was Joseph's responsibility, to teach Jesus primarily to be a good human being. What did Jesus do for a career before he was age 30? What, did, what, what was he? He was a carpenter. What was his father's job? He was a carpenter. So he not only taught him to be a good human being, he taught him a trade. Parents, it's our responsibility to help our children grow in education, in relationships, and being part of society, being part of a community. But there's also a primary responsibility, it's this, teaching our children to know Jesus. That's why you're here, teaching our children to understand their identity of who they are as a son or daughter of God. Just like Joseph and Mary, that was their responsibility. And so we have the responsibility at different stages, as their babies, to sing over them, to pray over them, to love on them. I love that. When they are two years old, at two to seven, and you start reading Bible stories, and then you watch your kid right in front of the Jersey Shore, and they're looking at the Atlantic Ocean, they're going, and you're like, what are you doing? I'm trying to split the ocean, right? Isn't that what they learn in the Bible, right? Seriously, have you ever seen your kid like, like, like doing something? Like it emulates the stories of scripture, right? Think about that. I'll never forget, one of our kids was really sick. We were gonna bring them to the, to the hospital and one of the little siblings went right up and said, we need to pray. They laid their hand on their sibling, healed on the spot. As God is my witness, didn't go to the hospital. Why? Because they read the narrative. That picture Bible worked, right? Think about that. What about junior high, senior high? We don't give up on our kids. If you think giving up your kids when they get to high school that your responsibility is over, you're dead. You're dead. And you know the hardest stage of parenting? Young adults. And I love them. They're a blast. But men, there are stages. You are a daddy. You become a father, you become a dad, you become a mentor, and then you become their friend. There are stages of parenting. And if you try to be their friend too soon, you know what you do? You mess them up because they need a father. They need a dad. And it's so easy that we're all trying to be the cool kids on the block. No, no, we're supposed to do our responsibility. And right now, I'm at a stage where my kids are young adults, where I can begin being their friend. And yes, sometimes I become their mentor. And there's many times, even in their 20s, I'm their father. I'm your father. Respect me. Respect me. But yet there's these stages that we walk through. And if we literally embrace each aspect of life, we get to see the joys of seeing our kids grow into maturity. Amen? Cool. Second, I'm about to fly. Predictable patterns. I love what I see, I see in this passage. It says, and they went to Jerusalem as usual. We have predictable patterns. Our kids go to school how many months a year? 10 months. Predictable patterns, Monday through Friday, right? 
We have predictable patterns at our kids playing sports events, dance, art, whatever, predictable patterns. But what about predictable patterns of faith? Sunday morning, groups, kidsmen, life group. Do your kids have predictable, predictable patterns in your home that this is normative? This is normative? I, I love one family in our church. Their child's a great athlete. And their child is so involved in youth group that to the point that he'll come late to youth group just to be part of it. It's a predictable pattern in his life. He's a leader in our youth group. And literally when I talk to Paul, he's like, this young man, he gets it. And his parents get it. And like, yes, we are at constant conflict. But do you have predictable patterns for your kids to go through different stages where they get to know Jesus for their own? So Abigail, Lois, will one day say, I want Jesus because mommy and daddy have set patterns in my life. We have patterns. We call them high lows. We learned it because when we were young and married, being married, and we were stupid being married, and we were fighting when we were young and married, we literally saw a movie that changed our life. And we got on our knees, and we repented for our stupidity, and in this movie, they practiced something called high lows. And that day forward, we started practicing high lows for one another. This week alone, regularly, we go through high lows. What was your high for the day? What was your low for today? Luke, what was your high for the day? What was your low for the day? And there's times I just want to eat. I don't want them to know my low for the day. But they'll stop me. They'll stop me. The other night, Wednesday night, was such a blessing. And I'm telling you a high. We just went through the high lows. I'm like, come on, let's just get, get through it. That's my mind. Let's just do it, right? It's the right thing to do. It's a predictable pattern. We sat there for 25 minutes affirming each other and who we are in each other's lives. After that, I'm like, Father's Day's done. My Father's Day was Wednesday. Are you having predictable patterns that you get to have opportunities to have gospel conversations that your kids see in your life what you truly value the most? Which leads us to number three, have a kingdom perspective. The lens in which we see the world is the same prescription that our children see through it too. Do you know that? The way you see the world, your values will be their values. And they may be fighting you. They may be pushing on you. They may be calling you a hypocrite, a Pharisee. They've called me that. And I'm the preacher guy. Okay, preacher guy, is that how you're going to talk to your congregation? They've said that to me before. Do you know that? Okay, preacher guy, was that how you would counsel someone? Okay, preacher guy, is that how you would listen to someone? I'm human. I'm broken. Really broken. But yet, God uses consistency in our brokenness because love covers a multitude of sins. Kingdom values, meaning this, what you value is what you think about, what you talk about, what you invest your time into, what you invest your finances into. You want to practice a kingdom value today? Go home with your family and say, I want to challenge us to give $20, $20, to the Montana trip. You know what? All my children, they're getting the challenge. Mommy and I are giving 20 bucks. I challenge you who have summer jobs to give 20 bucks to the Montana trip as well. That's a kingdom value. How do you do that? You're not going to do it perfectly, but listen. Listen. To be in the Hall of Fame in baseball is 
four out of 10 times. If you hit that ball four out of 10 times, you are in the hall of fame. You just keep getting up there and you swing and you swing and you show up and you show up. And trust me, God will bless your life. If it's not feeling like it's happening now, it will come to fruition. It's how it works. I'm sick of Christians. I'm sick of the church. I'm sick of modern day Christianity that says the Bible is not what it says it is. God's word is true. It's life-giving. It has the power to take away spiritual death from our souls. All I want my kids to do is know Jesus. Yes, my kid graduated law school. Awesome. But I want him to know Jesus. I want him to know Jesus. Yes, my son's going to graduate from Rambo next year. Great. I want him to know Jesus. Right? We want our kids that, that our lives are a mirror to who Jesus is. But here's what we have to realize. There is a war for our children's soul. There's a war for our children's soul. And I love what St. Saint, Saint Augustine, St. Thomas Aquinas, he said this at the Council of Trent. I know I'm speaking kind of fast. I apologize. At the Council of Trent, this was one of the most definitive meetings in church history. And there was so many church leaders from all over the world that gathered and he talks about the enemy of the soul. He calls it the implicit enemies of the soul. And St. Thomas Aquinas, he stands up and he says, as he looks at scripture, there are three enemies. The world, which is culture. Culture, even back then, is in opposition to the things of God. It is just not a modern phenomena. It's not Culture is constantly at war for our souls. Culture is in opposition to God. Think about Moses. Think about Egypt. Think about how God rescued them from a culture that was opposed to the living God. Think about Ephesus. Ephesus was, was, was a community that, that worshipped Satan. Do you know that? It was a high pagan culture, right? It was against the church. And the beautiful thing about Ephesus is that over a third of the city came to Christ. Out of 500,000 people, a third of the city came to Christ, and they burned over $2 million of books that were all written about witchcraft. Why? Because the kingdom of God will tear down the kingdom of the enemy. And the gates of hell will not prevail. Amen? That's one, culture. Two, flesh, our corrupt inclinations. I, I love what David said. And it took David's big downfall to say this. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. David had a major fall, a major fall. And he said, I finally get it. I'm broken. I'm a sinner. There has to be a time in all of our lives that we recognize that we're broken. And we live in a culture that, that we're told to not tell our kids they're broken. We're told that, like, no, you're the best, you're the best, you're the best, you're the best, you're the best. You do nothing wrong, you do nothing wrong, you do nothing wrong. Seriously? Invite me to your house. 
I'll invite you to my house. I'll show you that we're all broken. Do I get an uh-huh? Right? Like, it's okay. It's okay to recognize that we're broken because when we realize we're broken, it is the beginning of life transformation. It's the beginning of life transformation. Paul says this, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't, I don't want to do, I what? I do. Anyone happen to that this week? Anyone this week? Anyone say, man, I should have done it, but I chose not to. Man, I did it and I wasn't supposed to, right? Think about that. That's the tension that we all wrestle with. We're corrupt and it's okay. It's okay. Your pastor recognizes that he was born a sinful human being. And the day that I was able to recognize that I was born broken was the day I realized how human I actually am. Amen? And then there's one final one, the devil. St. Thomas Aquinas says there is an entity of evil. Evil has a personality. Evil has a position here on this earth. Jesus says the enemy's whole purpose before he knows his fate is to steal, kill, and destroy the work of God in each human's life. This is what I wrote. Jesus was very clear. Satan's sole purpose is to steal the hearts of your child, of your children, kill any gospel movement, and destroy God's purposes and plans in every person's life. Parents, you need to go down swinging. And the way we swing is not by screaming at our children, it's by doing this, getting on our hands and knees and we pray for them. Letting them know that we are for them and we are not against them. Letting them know that no weapon formed against us as a family unit will prosper. You have to be there. Because if you're not there, no one's there for them. And I'll say it again, no one loves your child more than Jesus. No one loves your child more, more than the Father. And so, there's one last lesson we're going to learn. Family on mission. Family on mission. Family on mission. Family on mission. You look at that passage, and in that passage, this is what you see. People doing this together. People doing this together. People doing this together. Eddie, come on up. Sorry, I'm going to call you out. Eddie joined the church plant team with his wife, Sue, many moons ago. Didn't know Eddie well, but I love Eddie. Let me give you a kiss. You do a great job, man. Great job. Does a great job. Very special to me. Had a great lunch with him this week. God's up to so much. He gets it. He sees the culture in the school. He sees how they're lying to his children as he's trying to raise his two boys. He sees the lies. Is he being equipped? Is he being empowered? That God has, God has a purpose. God has a plan. God has a design for his children, who they are, how he desires for them to live, and he is a reflection of that. Eddie, I pray for your kids, and I know you pray for mine right? Think about that. Think about that. There's men all throughout this room. Scotty Hozier, can you come up? I'm sorry. Come here. He's like, I hate you. I love you. Come here. 
Scotty Hoser and I have been journeying together. I knew we were supposed to be friends before he knew it. It was a love made in heaven. He doesn't want to get kissed. <laughs> Come here. I love you too. Thank you. We pray for each other's kids. We do. We journey together. We're in this together. I know he prays for my kids because he knows I pray for his kids. Pat DeCosto, come on up here. Come on. on. Get up here, Pat. Just get up here, please. Come on. Hurry up. Hurry up. Pat DeCosto. (laughs) Come on up. Come on up. I love you too, man. You're the best head to kiss. I know he knows. I know that he's praying for my kids because he's praying for my kids. Who's your caravan? Who's your caravan? Who's your caravan? Go sit down. Thank you. How's that easy? Think about this. Who is your family on mission? Who's your family on mission? Who are the people that when you are going through trials, trials, that you're saying, I got your back because I know you got mine. Who's your family on mission? Being a dad is the greatest and hardest responsibility you will ever have. But if you do it right and you trust the Holy Spirit at work in your life, It's worth it all. It's worth it all. Who is terrified to be a parent? Raise your hand. Who? Only five of us. The rest of you all get it. Praise God. Whoop-de-doo. Right? Think about that. I was terrified. And there came a day when I was sharing with my wife how terrified I was to be a parent. And she looked up at me and she says, you're going to be a good one because you recognize that you can't do it without Jesus. You can't. Think about the prodigal. You have one responsibility, parent. You pray your kids home. Amen. So it would be like if, if one of our children, I'm not saying any of them here, they don't sit on this side of the section, but when they were struggling, she's like, you need to go talk with them. You need to go do this. You need to go do that. I said, honey bun, what have we learned from the gospel? We sit on the porch and we pray. We sit on the porch and pray. Because our heavenly father cares more about Brandon, Becky, Ben, and Luke more than you could ever care or love them more than I could ever care or love them. I have a heavenly father. We have a heavenly father. We have a heavenly father who loves our children more. Because when they're old, they're coming home. They're coming home. They're coming home. If you've ever been to a homecoming, it's an amazing party. That worked perfect, didn't it? Let me just close with this verse. Jesus called the little child to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth. 
unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. How did Jesus know to trust the Father? He had a daddy who emulated childlike faith. And his name was Joseph. And there are like five little inclinations that we read about Joseph. But Joseph's legacy will live on for all eternity. Because Jesus learned to have childlike faith because his daddy had childlike faith. If you don't have faith, how can you expect your child to ever have faith too? So today, be like a little child. And today, today's my fresh start. I want to learn to be the parent, the father, to point my child true north. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org.